Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com? There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys had a wonderful uh, 4th of July. Boy, what crazy time uh, this is. You know... As I was just on social media hanging out kind of with family uh, yesterday, it was so interesting to see the, I don't know what it is, the, the posturing of people trying to make a statement on social media. And uh, on one side, we had a lot of people, uh, you know, just rallying around the country and support. This is my country, freedom, and had the flags and had quotes. And then on the other side, you have people saying, you know, this isn't my 4th of July and, and dealing with the disparity of, you know, people and, and problems. And I'm just like thinking, how do I respond to this? What do I say that's going to um, not tick someone off? You know, it's like you, there's no way you can just move into this dialogue without seeming to take sides. But I don't think Jesus is on sides. It just reminds me of Joshua when, you know, the angel of the Lord is before him and he asks him, whose side are you on, us or our enemies? And he says, no, that's not how it works. I I, I feel that that's kind of where Jesus is in this whole thing. You know, are you on my side or on this side? It's like, no, that's not how it works we want simplicity. We want those clear, clean-cut answers, but it, it's not that way. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of uh, things involved with this where you can't just give one answer that's going to satisfy everyone, that it, it really is going to take relationships, dialogue, and time. Uh, and so I did post something, you know, that's just trying to to push that idea forward, and I was actually looking, you know, to see who who would like it to see, did I tick anyone off or, or did I get? And it's so interesting because then there are both sides of this, you know, equation that were in the comments or liked the post. And so I felt like, yes, there, there is something that we can do to try and bridge that together. And, and we did post, although I didn't post it and I, I, um, I think I saw that Brianna posted something on, uh, social media where yesterday we did give the gift bags to the Upland Police Department and there was a neat little a card that they put on that or in the bag as well as the three gift cards that were for three of the local businesses here in our community and what was great is Randy put together this little um, a card and I don't let me see if I can find it I did find it yeah 
And it just basically had kind of in the shape of a police badge. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And it says, once again, we find ourselves filled with gratitude as we consider the men and women of Upland Police Department in these tumultuous times. We know you sacrifice more than ever in order to keep our community safe. It is our hope to build bridges instead of walls. And so this year in these bags, you will find three gift cards. Each gift card is to a locally owned business right here in Upland. We hope that you will make connections, get to know owners and employees, and perhaps even make some new friends. We hope you enjoy. And so thank you all for contributing towards this and making it possible. We have a few gift bags left over, and I know of four police officers in our community or related to our community who we have a gift bag for, and we're going to try and get it to you here somehow uh, soon. Uh, But thank you guys for being people who build bridges and not just walls, right? That's kind of our endeavor at this time and hoping we can continue to do that. Um, No new news as far as when we can meet. Uh, As you know, even more restrictions have been put in place. Uh, Recently saw uh, that Governor Newsom had said that churches aren't allowed to sing. And I don't know if those are the words he used, but he put something out there. Maybe it was a recommendation that churches not sing because it is through the air being passed, that the virus is passed. Um, And of course, there was a response. I know some churches are like, oh, the devil's trying to stop us from singing. I don't know about that. I I think it's probably a wise thing not to spread germs around at a time when there's a pandemic with a virus. And, And so all this to say, we don't have a time yet when we will be able to gather again together. But we want to find ways to connect. And so this Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., I am going to be doing an Instagram live prayer uh, time. And so you can follow on that time. It's not going to be a dialogue or anything like that. I'm just going to lead us in a time of meditative prayer Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. I'm going to try and do this on a regular basis, Wednesdays at 9. Uh, Again, this isn't a prayer meeting where everyone gets to be involved, but I hope you are there and I hope you are involved because prayer is something that takes place between us and God. Um, Also, next Sunday, we are going to start uh, a Sunday evening, and I'm going to call it, I think, Take Two, where at 5 o'clock on Instagram Live, again, I am going to have a time where I talk about what I talked that morning, but with somebody or have different conversations. Next Sunday, uh, Randy is going to be joining us, and so you probably haven't seen Randy. Find out how he's doing. He's got his cast on. But Randy and I are going to talk about the things that I have shared that Sunday morning. You guys can uh, message in questions or thoughts, and we'll try and interact that way. Just trying to provide other ways of connection and, and not just see me or hear, you know, whether it's Alex or Brian or Lydia singing, uh, but try and find ways of more communication 
And we do encourage you to reach out to people who you're comfortable with and connect with them in some way. Invite them over uh, for dinner. If you're safe and comfortable with this group of people, then do those things that bring that kind of connection, right? I want you to be responsible for yourself and the group of people that you are with. And if you feel uncomfortable about connecting with people, reach out to people, right? You have a phone, you can text, you can message. Um, There's so many ways to bring that sense of connection. You can FaceTime. Do that with the people who you're thinking of. And, And in fact, the challenges this week Who is on your heart? Who is on your mind that you just need to extend yourself to? And maybe it's going to be one person this week. Maybe it'll be a few people, people who are outside your normal routine and circle, people who just come to your thought and say, you know what? I haven't heard from so-and-so. I'm going to send out a text. I'm going to make a phone call and see how someone is doing. And I encourage all of us to do that, to allow this relationship and connection to continue through the separation that is taking place. Also, we want you to know that we are putting together a newsletter that we are going to send out once a month to just let you know what is going on. We still are planning to put an app together for Genesis, which would be the better way probably to communicate more uh, consistently, but we're also putting together a newsletter. I actually have a newsletter already written out for this month uh, that's talking about some of the things that are happening. It has actually our 2019 uh, a brief synopsis of our financial report that we're going to put out there. And so if you would like to be on the newsletter, you need to email us and say newsletter at info at thegenesisstory.com. We will then have your email address, put it on the list, and we will send that out this week. And so if you want that email, you have to let us know, um, and we will do that until we get the app together and we can put that as well. Another thing that we want to put out to you, as things have changed and we are having to do a lot more in the area of media, right, Uh, the social media, even what we're doing here, I mean, we kind of put this together to be able to connect with you still uh, when all this broke loose, but we are developing it so that we can actually do it better and to do more, but we need help right? We need uh, more than just Gil doing everything. And so if you would like to be involved, especially in the video aspect, uh, running a camera, putting together just the, the, that aspect of the media of really, it's just really running the camera. And I don't know how much of it's going to be in software and things that we're going to do, but it's a new area that we are developing. And if you would like to help out, you're wondering, what can I do to help? And you like doing camera work, you like doing video work, hit me up. Again, you can email us at info at the Genesis story. You can message me. You can call me. My number is out there. If you Google me, you'll find a dog trainer or Genesis or something. There's a way to get a hold of me. So get a hold of me. Or if you know Gil or any of us and you want to extend your you know, help, please reach out to us so that we can connect with you because we just bought some new equipment, a new camera, and a new something else. I don't know what it is. It's something that helps the camera talk to the technology. So 
that's why we need someone. Otherwise, you're going to get me in there, and who knows what will happen. Gosh, I was so frustrated yesterday just trying to post something and, like, trying to do it all neat and tricky. And, man, it's just not my thing. Anyway, we need your help. So there are things you can do to help here at Genesis, even though we're not gathering in these areas. If you would like to and are qualified, and I say qualified, just know how and want to. You can learn how. Um, That would be great. Okay. Today I want to kind of bring to a conclusion what I've been talking about the past few weeks. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about skate parks and buildings, a rope and a log, something shocking, tears, locked doors, and doubt, and words from Martin Luther. As we've been talking the past few weeks, we've been looking at how people deal with difficult situations like this pandemic, like the racial tension, like the political divide. The the need for blame often comes into this, whether it's we want to blame God and, or, and even not blame God, attribute it to God, like God is judging us because of our sin. And that sin is usually one that we especially disapprove of, right? Depending on where your thought is, oh, God is judging us because of, and you can name the sins that, you know, maybe you've heard or you're thinking about. Or or a lot of times it's because, you know, just God is doing this to accomplish something, right? We blame God, not so much as his fault, but we're saying, oh, God is behind it and he's doing this because of. And we talked about the way of Christ isn't so much to bring a sense of blame, but it is to take responsibility about what can be done. We we talked about the blind man in John chapter 9. We talked about the church in Antioch when there was a need. They didn't ask, why are they going through this time of famine? But they said, what can we do? Who's at risk? And how can we help? Um, the Christian goal isn't to escape, but is to engage, right? It's not God's going to take us from all of this problem. No, God has put us here so that we can be involved in the problem that is there. And engagement, we talked about, begins with empathy. It, it begins with care, concern. Uh, a Jesus was moved with compassion at the people because he saw them as harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. We saw that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. Uh, Before he did anything miraculous, he engaged with the sympathy and the tears. We saw Jesus crying out over Jerusalem, 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 you who, who stoned the prophets, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he talks about the desolation that would come just a few years later because of their rejection. We, we see that there is this empathy this morning that is at the foundation of engagement because humility is an important part, right? We, we have to come at this with a place of being participants and not being someone who's going to bring some kind of, yes, we've got all the answers. I, I remember when I went to Wales I went to like four or five years in a row and there was a church that was starting there. And one of the years, I believe it was 2005, some incredible things happened where we met with a group of people at a skate park and then at some coffee shops. And there was about 
30 people engaging in this kind of community outreach that we were doing there. And the people who were there starting this work started having meetings with these people and they would meet on a Wednesday night at a Starbucks. They had a really cool Starbucks that had like a two stories and they would use that whole top floor and have like a Bible study and engage. And there were so many people coming and participating with that. But then the person who was leading wanted to do things the way things were done here in the United States. And so they rented out a building, even though the building was at a place further distance away. And then nobody came, right? It just kind of dwindled and died. It's like, but now we've got a building. Now we've got all these things that we're thinking is how it could be done instead of seeing what was happening and taking your cue from the people that were there asking them what they needed, what would be helpful to them and staking, instead of taking a position of humility and wanting to come alongside, there was, I believe, this, this is how we're going to do it. And it ended up falling apart and dwindling. Sometimes the best thing we can do is recognize we don't have all the answers and then come alongside with those who are struggling. And a time like that, even in that area of groaning. Sometimes that groaning, that agony, we can come alongside and groan with them, even as the Spirit himself groans with words that cannot be uttered, we talked about last week. And why is this so important? Why is joining in grief so important? Why is that more important than just giving answers? right? Grief is a part of love, right? Not to grieve is to to shut the door on the depths of the heart where where love is born. To, To not go alongside and grieve is to become superficial in how you interact with people. Grief is where the core of things that are important take place. Think back in your life, the areas where you've had tremendous grief, right? Who was there with you through those times? Those are probably the people you are closest to, those who weep with you, those who are able to laugh you, those who are able to come alongside and help you through that. I mean, those times where just a hug at the right time meant so much. It's like that person just felt what I'm feeling and that means so much to me, right? And so it's important because we want to come alongside and connect in ways that are meaningful, right? We live in a culture that moves away from grief, although I I think that's changing. We are becoming more and more informed with that, and we have people and authors who are writing things like Brene Brown and others who talk about the importance of being vulnerable. But for the most part, we think of these things as, you know, I don't want to show emotion. I don't want to become weak, Right, Because that is looked at as a sign of weakness, is showing grief, showing tears, showing those things. But we look for comfort instead in in things that are simple, right? The familiar, because it's difficult to step into the grief. It's difficult to watch and pray like Jesus asked the disciples to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's difficult 
and we don't like the difficult. It makes us uncomfortable. And so we're quick to try and find a way out to bring a sense of comfort and not have to step in to that grief. Because change is frustratingly slow. At least that's how I feel right now. I feel frustrated in our condition, not only the pandemic, but the political divide and the racial tension. I feel frustrated because I want to see things change. But when I get all this feedback, especially on social media, I just get frustrated and thinking, man, I don't see when this is going to change, right? I don't see how these people and all their rhetoric about this, 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 and this, and it just puts them on this side. And then these people with all their comments about this, this, and this, it just divides everything. And I just think, oh man, how is this ever gonna be resolved? How is ever, how is there ever going to be this peace on earth? And I think that is why because of this frustration, because of how slow things move, I think that is why we have the Psalms. And a third of the Psalms are Psalms that deal with lamenting. Oh God, why are things the way they are, right? I I think that is part of the process, is lamenting, is grieving, is dealing with. And we've talked about this in the past, and it's going to be a part of our future, so we just got to get used to it. But it's important that we're able to go to it. We're able to go to the grief, and it's important that we're able to come alongside those who are grieving, those who are in situations where maybe they are ill or have someone who is ill or have lost someone even due to this virus. I'm, I'm finding out there's more and more people who I know who know people. It seems like it keeps getting closer and closer to our door and to the people I know and the people I love. And the hospitals that were empty are now becoming full. Right, The ER and the intensive care units are now starting to fill up. And so there is a lot of hurt, not just in the people going through this, but the people who love the people who are going through this who can't even visit them. Right, And so, Lord, why? And that question is where the grief starts to grow, and it's where I believe God begins to meet us. T.S. Eliot wrote about this in a writing of his called East of Coker, when the skies over London were dark with German warplanes, he wrote this. He said, I said to my soul, be still and let the dark come upon you, which shall be the darkness of God. I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing. There is yet faith, but faith and the hope and the love are all in the waiting. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. So the darkness shall be the light and the stillness the dancing. In order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance." 
those words are so powerful because I believe they capture the reality of even the situation we find ourselves in where ignorance is just paramount. I, we do not know. The, the, the people who are in charge, the professionals are stumbling and trying to find their way through this. There is not the clear-cut answers that we're looking for. And so we want to try and reach out for a quick answer to make ourselves feel secure, but we would hope for the wrong thing. We would love for the wrong thing. If we are going to get to a place that we're not sure of, we have to tread there carefully. And it begins with this, I don't know, this ignorance, right? It's like a person who is fallen into a river and is heading down for the falls, right? And the the easy thing for them to grab onto is the log that is there in the water with them. The hard thing would be to let go of the log and try and make your way to the rope that is anchored to something. We all want the easy, and so we grab onto the log, and then we just head down the river because it was easier than trying to hold on to something that is actually anchored. The easy answers comfort us at times like this, but they're like delusions. They're, they're like the log holding onto with a sense of security. And even as I shared last week, some of the catchphrases that we as Christians use, you know, everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. God is in control. These can often be, not always, but can often be attempts to not sit with the discomfort and allow it to shape our faith, to to not be still so that we can know he is God. Instead, we need to find the answer to what has happened. We even looked closely at Romans 8.28 last week and what a difference it makes when we read it, all things work together for good with those who love God instead of for those who love God, right? That involves us instead of allows us to sit passively by. Instead of saying everything happens for a reason, we can start trying to bring reason into everything that happens by being present in the difficulties. And when we say God is in control, we need to remember what control looks like in the life of Jesus because it looks like going to the Garden of Gethsemane. It looks like going to the cross. It looks like a paradox. Jesus was in tune with the calling of humanity that God established back in Genesis that we were to bear his image. And Jesus was the clarity of what that image looked like. And when humanity sinned, God didn't cancel our responsibility to bear his image. What he did is he called the human family to push forward this understanding. And it started with Abraham to the nation of Israel to be the way in which he would bring in redemption, knowing full well that these people were flawed and just human. And we see this ancient call to represent God to the world extended 
clearly through Jesus, through the Sermon on the Mount, through the book of Acts, as the followers of Jesus would go out and tell a Roman-ruled world that Jesus was the true King of kings and Lord of lords. A, A title that was given to Caesar, they were saying it belongs to this Jesus who was crucified and who God raised from the dead. But how could they stand up and say something like this when Rome was so clearly the one in power? How could they stand and say Jesus is the way when Romans ruled the world? And that's what the book of Revelation really is at the heart of the book, what it's about. It's not to predict the end of the world, but to reveal, thus the title, Revelation, the lordship of Jesus and how it looks in his followers. And they held this truth to the point of persecution. And it was in that grief and it was in that hardship that the light began to shine. We have a hard time even going there sometimes mentally, right? Of going to this place where the way of God is not the way of power and control, but it is the way of servitude, right? Sovereignty to us means complete control. And to be in complete control means having the power to do what's needing to be done. And so the idea of God being sovereign is God is doing whatever God wants to do. And that's why we have a struggle. This must be what God wants to do is have a plague. And this must be what God wants to do to have this turmoil in our country. But if Jesus is now how we see God, then sovereignty is shaped like Jesus, right? Sovereignty isn't an iron grip relentlessly controlling everything Sovereignty looks like Jesus coming alongside and serving. And this is difficult to understand. The ancient Hebrews would try and bring an understanding of God in their scriptures as God was grieved, right? And that's something that's amazing. In Genesis 6, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And it was through this grief that called Noah and this idea of something grieving God is to me astounding. Right? We, we see this carried in the New Testament in Mark chapter 14 that Jesus began to greatly be distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And here he's quoting Psalm 42 and 43, classic lament Psalms. And John 12 also tells us that Jesus said, now my soul is troubled, quoting from Psalm 6. See, Jesus can see the flood of death and despair coming upon him And unlike Noah, he will have no ark for deliverance. Nevertheless, he will take with him God's whole creation through the flood of death and out into the new creation that dawns on Easter morning. Grief 
leads to the newness of life. We see not only that God is grieved, but that God is apparently shocked. God is surprised. And this is amazing, right? Because this confounds our idea of God and him being completely sovereign and in control. But in Jeremiah 7 and in Jeremiah 32, God says in response to the people who are sacrificing their children on altars, he says, I did not command, nor did this come into my mind. In other words, I couldn't even think of this. It didn't come into my heart, literally. And that's a paradox that we see throughout scripture, that that God is at work yet holds people responsible for their actions. God is doing something, but you're doing something. Right? We, we see that in Peter's words in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, where he, he tells people that the death of Jesus was what God had intended to do, but that people who arrested him, tried and killed him, were wicked to do so. Well, isn't this what God planned, but they were wicked to do it? Which is it? Did God plan it or did these people do it? And, and there's no way around this paradox, and I don't think we need to look for one. Again, that's trying to make things clear and simple, and it's just not. We're not given nice, comprehensible answers to the problem of evil that is here in God's creation, except that God overcomes them like Jesus, through Jesus, through a death on the cross. That, that's God's answer for evil. It's not a snap of the fingers make everything right, it is going to a cross and suffering for the wrong. Think how we try to overcome evil. Think of when we see something that's evil taking place. We try to do it with power. We try to do it with guns, with bombs and force. Kind of like Rome, right? Rome controlled the world and brought peace to the world, a peace to them, it was annihilation to anyone who disagreed with them, right? This was their idea of peace. And I, I think it's interesting how many Christians think that that's the way to peace today. And if we have the power, it's because God has willed it, right? This manifests destiny. It, it's our job to, to bring about the peace that we want, and we're going to do it through force. And we have problems, because it doesn't look like Jesus. We have a, a God now of war, driven by a God of mammon, right? A God that doesn't look like the God of G- who is Jesus. And, and God, far from being a puppet master behind the scenes, pulling the strings of humanity, instead is delegating responsibility of the world to humanity who is supposed to bear his image. And by doing this, he runs the risk of being grieved in his heart. By doing this, he runs the risk of being shocked by our behavior. But when this happens, he holds us responsible. And that's the other side of the coin of being created in God's image is being responsible 
for that image. Remember Jesus' words to Pilate when he says, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you, yet it didn't take Pilate off the hook and his responsibility for what he did. And that's where we each find ourselves in this position. We see something happen around us. It's our responsibility to step it is into what is happening around us and to bear the image of God in what is happening around us, how we interact with people, how we talk to, even how we disagree with, and most importantly, how we grieve with the people who are there around us because that is bearing the image of God into the situation in the world that we're living in. The same is true with us today. We bear the responsibility of how we have dealt with and are dealing with this pandemic. Right? Who's responsible? We've got to come up with better ways of dealing with things like this. Right? We, we have to stop politicizing things for the sake of power and start caring more for people. And when we see things happen like this, we need to be able to step into those things. Right? The responsibility falls on us of how we deal with the authority and even the fight against the abusive authority or the politicizing of authority. We, we have a responsibility to have a voice in all these things, maintaining the character. And I want to kind of go to some passages in scripture now where we see this happening to the church in the first century, where we we have similar things happening where they were in tears, they were locked behind doors, and they were doubting. How does this happen for us as followers of Jesus? How do we live? On the first Easter day, it began with Mary weeping outside Jesus' empty tomb. And in John chapter 20, if you have a copy of the scripture, open it there. John 20 verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples of whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Something tremendous was going on. First of all, they were, like Mary, grieving because who they had believed in, who they had trusted in, was crucified and dead. They were hiding out, as we're going to see, because they were in fear of being arrested themselves. And they didn't know what was going on or how they should carry on. The story continues in verse 11. But Mary, weeping outside the tomb as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white 
sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. It's interesting. They had left. She had stayed. And because she had stayed, she had seen more. Right? She was the first one there. She was the last one to leave. She was the one who was invested in what was going on. And she is the one who gets the most from what is happening. They said to her in verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Remember, the church began with tears. It began with locked doors and it began with doubt. A place where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves grieving the things that we have lost and some more than others, right? Some of us have been merely inconvenienced. There are people who are in refugee camps and in other places where the idea of socially distancing is as easy as flying to the moon. It's impossible where sickness is being rampant. Finding ourselves in places of grief, fear, and doubt sounds like a good place for us to start. And we see that that same evening, the disciples were still hiding out. In verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked again where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We see this passing on now of responsibility As the Father sent me, I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent them in humility, lower than the angels were told for the suffering of death. We we see that he esteemed others more important than himself. This is the way. This is the sovereignty of God at work. It doesn't look like control the way we think of it. It doesn't look like the power the way we think of it. It, 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 It's foreign in how it comes to us. But as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us. He said that we are to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And, And this same scenario happens again with Thomas from verses 24 to 29, because Thomas wasn't there. And again, we see them shut up and finally Thomas sees and he believes. And once again, we see the tears, the locked doors and the doubt. They 
and we are not meant to be frightened people hiding behind locked doors. They and we are meant to be sent out, to be ambassadors to this new life, to this new creation, to, to be peacemakers, to proclaim the good news that God is near, to, to proclaim the good news that God is coming into the ordinary and making it extraordinary, that God is taking humanity and recreating it into his image. And he's doing it through the person of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that behind locked doors. We, we can't do that if we are afraid. We can't do that if we don't represent him well. We can't do that if we come with attitude and pompous arrogance. We, we can't do that if we think we are going to do that with power. If we are going to politically bring Jesus and the kingdom of God into this play, then we have missed the mark and aren't following Christ, but following more Rome. Coming to the fearful and bringing peace. Coming to the sick and bringing hope and healing and comfort. Giving what is needed for those who are hungry. Giving sight to the blind, life to the dead. These are the signs of the new beginning. This is the gospel. This is the sovereignty of God at work. This is our calling. This is how God sent Jesus and how he is sending us to do these things. And so Paul would write to the Galatians, do good to all people especially those in the household of faith, right? This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is what ignited the first century. It wasn't knowledge about God, about the Bible. They didn't even have a Bible in the first century. They had little letters. I mean, the scripture that we have didn't come about till three centuries later. How did they do this? They, they had the example of Christ that they followed, there was the compelling command of Jesus found in those scriptures to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. We come from a powerful legacy. We have a powerful history. And I know like everybody's history, it has good and bad, right? There, there is definitely on one hand, the grasp for power, the grasp for control, but on the other hand, there is the compassion that built hospitals and orphanages and even education systems, right? Even up today where the hospice care that is here was primarily run and developed by churches. This is part of our legacy. This, this is part of our heritage that we get to step into. Christians have tended for the sick in huge numbers throughout history, throughout other plagues, the bubonic plague, throughout times of war and peace, in good times and bad times, followers of Jesus have stepped 
into the lives of those who are in need, helping the orphans, the children, those who are most at risk, even to the point where they put themselves at risk. That's part of our legacy. That, that's part of our identity. See, as God sent Jesus, he is sending us. Jesus, who did not regard himself, but humbled himself. This is our example. Martin Luther faced several plagues in Wittenberg and elsewhere in the 1520s and the 30s. And in one of his letters to church and civic leaders, he insisted that preachers and pastors should remain at their posts as good shepherds. They should be prepared to lay down their lives for their sheep. And likewise, civic and family leaders should only flee from the plague if they have made proper provision for the safety of those left behind. And he offered advice which sounds just as relevant today as it did 500 years ago. Here's some words from Martin Luther. He writes, with God's permission, the enemy has sent poison and deadly dung among us. And so I will pray to God that he may be gracious and preserve me. Then I will fumigate to purify the air, give and take medicine and avoid places and persons where I am not needed in order that I may not abuse myself and that through me others may not be infected and inflamed with the result that I became the cause of their death through my negligence. Is this relevant or what? If God wishes to take me, he will be able to find me. At least I have done what he gave me to do and am responsible neither for my own death nor for the death of others. But if my neighbor needs me, I shall avoid neither person nor place, but feel free to visit and help him. What a well-encompassed way to look at this. Right? I'm going to do everything I can to keep myself safe and to keep others safe. But if it's needed that I go and help, then I will go and help. Isn't that the attitude of Christ? Right? Isn't that what we are to follow in? Isn't that how God sent Jesus and how Jesus would be sending us? What challenging words for us, right? I don't want to fall into this place where I think that's someone else's job, right? Well, I can't do anything because I don't want to get anybody sick and I don't want to get sick, so I'll leave that for other people. Of course. But what about when there is a need that needs to be met and we have the opportunity to meet that need in some way. I don't think we are at a place where it is so severe where if we help in some ways, we ourselves are that vulnerable. I, I think we have the means to, to guard ourselves in so many ways. And if hospitals were to open up and allow ministers to go in to pray for those who are in need, would I say no when someone is in need, how can I? Would I wear a mask? You betcha. Would I wash my hands? Would I do everything that I could to protect myself and other people? Of course. 
You see, but this grief is pulling me like a magnet to the heart of people because that is where the heart of God is. And that's where our hearts need to be as well. The call to Jesus' followers then as they confront their own doubts and those of the world through tears from behind locked doors is to be the sign producers for God's kingdom. We are to set up these signposts, actions like Jesus. The healing of the sick, the food for the hungry and so on. We are to step into the difficulties. When Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always, that word rejoice doesn't mean feel happy deep inside. It means get out on the street with proper safe distancing, of course, and celebrate. Bring good news and make it known, right? In Paul's time, there were processions and street parties and religious ceremonies going on all over the place in public and people could see what was happening and Paul wanted the Jesus followers to do the same thing. In scripture, the word joy is something you can hear. It's not just something you can feel. Is our joy being heard? Or is it something we think belongs just to us? Our joy is not only to be inside us, but it is to be felt in the world around us. I want to close with Psalm 43. The psalmist says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, may we not shut ourselves in. May the grief of the world pull us out from behind closed doors and into the lives of those around us. And Father, if we are unaware of the grief, maybe we have been so closed up that we do not hear the cry because we are so distant from our neighbors. So, Lord, I pray that we would break down the walls that are between us and those around us, and we would build bridges. We would extend ourselves, more importantly, extend you and the hope that you offer to those around us. Lord, to do that, we have to be present. And I pray, Lord, that we would take the example of Christ and allow it to shape how we think about God what we think about God's power, what we think about God's sovereignty, what we think about God's control, what all that looks like is so different than maybe we've been taught. It's so different than what is being pushed on us by so many. Lord, may we not be people who want to be in control, 
want to be the ones who make all the right decisions and all the wrong decisions or what should and shouldn't be done. May we be the people who move forward not knowing. Move forward not knowing what to say lest we say the wrong thing. Be people who who wait and sit with the darkness, with the grieving, with those who are hurting, not with quick answers, but with tears. May our hearts be moved by those who are being moved around us. Help us make a difference, Lord. And bring hope to this world, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Again, I hope you guys will join me Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. for a time of prayer. And then next week, remember, we we're going to be starting again to do uh, take two in the evening, Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock, where we can have a little bit more conversation also want to remind you, uh, you can go to the genesisstory.com if you're going to give. There's different ways to give, uh, whether it's on the website through Zelle or Venmo, or you can uh, mail those things into us. These are all areas where you can uh, continue to support what's happening here at Genesis. And may the Lord find you where you're at. If you're locked behind doors, may he set you free. May he meet your grief with the joy and may that joy be heard around you. God bless you guys. We love you. We miss you and hope to see you sometime real soon. God bless. Bye. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.